On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, the group is going to talk about one of the Bible's great ideas. It's the one that, for Martin Luther, exploded how he thought about what it meant to be a Christian. And as a result, this idea has had a tremendous impact on followers of Jesus for the last 500 plus years. It's an idea that when you grab hold of it, it shapes how you read the entire Bible. And group member Bill Crowder says it's first explicitly stated in a surprising place. There's one particular verse in the Old Testament that, interestingly enough, it's an Old Testament verse in a minor prophet that gets repeated three times in the New Testament. Hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but that kind of gets my attention. And so I hope you'll explore with us all four of those places this idea is stated and discover why the just or the righteous live by faith is one of the Bible's great and revolutionary ideas. Live by faith is the title of this Discover the Word podcast. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And Bill is going to be leading the group as we explore together this idea that is foundational to the gospel. As I said, when we grab hold of it, it shapes how we read the entire Bible. We see implications of this great bottom line truth everywhere. And the fact that the phrase, the just or the righteous live by faith, is so explicitly repeated in some key texts, I mean, that has to be significant, right? Well, that's Bill's logic as we get into our first conversation in this series that will help us wrestle with the tension we often feel between faith and works. Are we justified by our works, our behavior, our obedience? Is that what determines our standing with God? Or is it by faith alone, the just live by faith? What kind of things have you done that required you to do memorization? where you had to memorize a bunch of stuff. What are some of the activities? I remember studying for pop quizzes, you know, whether it was some kind of a chemistry, you know, element chart or or whether it was in, in seminary, it was Greek, which I remember nothing of, or, you know, it was vocabulary and English. Just put that puppy into the short-term memory bank and then spit it right back out. Hey, just trying to remember names and memorize names of, does that count? Yes. It all yes. counts. If it's something you're trying to commit to memory, it counts. New co-workers that you're trying to stick a face and a name together so that you can lock yeah. into them, I think all those count. Okay. When you're working on memorizing things, are there any specific tools that you use to help you memorize that stuff? Well, I remember the walk through the Bible technique. They would come and do a whole like morning with a group in your church or in your Bible study and walk through various parts of the gospel, so to speak. And, you know, there would be a lot of association with visual things mm -hmm. um, like sidecar. I'll never forget sidecar. And uh, we were supposed to think about a sidecar on a motorcycle. I don't even know why, though, honestly. So anyway, <laughs> so, but I remember that. Okay. So associating with other things that are familiar is one good okay. technique. Yeah, I've tried the word picture too that really, I don't know why I don't do it more often, but like in the neighborhood here, there were two streets. There was one called Walma and there was another called Wing. I was always forgetting those streets' names until I came up with the picture and good night, I've never <laughs> forgotten them. You know, it works. For me, I've found that like acting out with my body 
as I'm memorizing helps. So using my hands for certain things or like motions or whatever, especially with speeches or longer form memorization, Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. some kind of motion that trains my body to help me think about whatever the next line is, Mm -hmm. has also been helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that, Daniel. Yeah. For me, it was all about repetition. I would Mm. just go over it and over it and over it and over it until it was second nature. And I take a little comfort in that. I think all of these things are valuable and we all use what works best for us. But I find a little comfort in the fact that the Bible uses repetition Hmm. frequently to teach certain ideas. And Isaiah even talks about line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, with that idea of a kind of a rolling repetition that helps us to embed ideas, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives as well. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular verse in the Old Testament that I want to focus on today and throughout this series of conversations that, interestingly enough, it's an Old Testament verse in a minor prophet that gets repeated three times in the New Testament. Hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of gets my attention. So we want to look at it, and the verse is Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Now, first of all, what do we know about Habakkuk? He's one of the minor prophets, Mm -hmm. and he's got a really hard, weird to spell name. (laughs) Yeah. And a matter of fact, in uh, more British-oriented countries, it's Habakkuk. Oh, is Uh, it really? Yeah. It's just a little, you know, put the emphasis on Mm -hmm. the wrong syllable kind of thing. (laughs) But one of the things about Habakkuk, as we call him, unlike most of the prophets, he doesn't make proclamations. He has a dialogue with God. Mm -hmm. And the dialogue that he has with God is about a problem that's very relevant for us to think about, and that's the problem of injustice in the world. So all of a sudden, this feels a little bit relevant, doesn't it? Even though it's like Mm -hmm. 7th century BC, Mm -hmm. it's very Mm -hmm. relevant because it's about injustice. Bill, how are we to hear that dialogue Is that something, do you think Habakkuk is imagining? Is he a prophet in the sense that he's hearing from God? I think he's a prophet who functions more like a psalmist. The book of Habakkuk actually feels very much like a lament in which he's lamenting the conditions that are in the world. It has a lot of the feel of Old Testament poetry. I think he's a prophet in the sense that he's going to speak out about the conditions of the world that he lives in. But his speaking out is mostly directed towards God as opposed to the people. Hmm. Are we supposed to think that he's hearing the voice of God? I think one way I've looked at it is that it's almost like a prayer journal, you know, Mark, that, you know, that he's praying. And like we would with God, you know, we might be praying and then we sense a kind of a response from God and we might write that in our journal. That's Mm -hmm. the way it feels to me as I read Habakkuk. Yeah, the other thing that jumps out at me, too, is the way the book begins. You know, a lot of the prophets, we get a little bit of context for who they are and why God shows up. With him, we hardly have anything. And it just starts with the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. Mm -hmm. And so there's some kind of seeing that he's experiencing, something that he's witnessing, and he's just Mm -hmm. trying to put words to what he's seeing. And then when we get to chapter three, it's a prayer that he prays. And so it's almost like what he sees and then this response of prayer. Hmm. I think that's really a good way to think about it, Daniel, because really, in a sense, in chapter one, he goes to God with questions about why the world is the way it is. 
Then in chapter two, he really kind of intercedes on the behalf of the people. And then in chapter three, it's a prayer that's really more worship oriented. So with that context, it's in the middle in that intercession part where we find our verse and it's Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And I'd like to get it in some different translations. So Mart, why don't you start us off in the New Living and then Elisa, if you'd give us the NIV and Daniel, the NRSV, and then I'll do the NAS. Okay. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Okay, the NIV. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Okay, Daniel. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. And the NAS has, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, there's one really interesting difference that popped up, and I'm sure you noticed it, but what is the one difference between the way the different translations handled it? There's faith or faithfulness. Yeah. According to the scholars, the Hebrew word really can go either way, depending on the context. What's interesting is that when the Septuagint, which was the Greek version of the Old Testament, was translated, they focused more on the concept of faith as opposed to faithfulness. And so when we hear it in our New Testament conversations in the rest of the week, it really leans more strongly toward the idea of faith as opposed to faithfulness. But I do think it's possible to integrate the two ideas together. Now, how might that work? Let me just start out by saying why it would be difficult to work, I think, because usually when we talk about living by faith or the just shall live by faith, it's like we are relying on what God does. Yeah. When you talk about those who are just or right with God live by their faithfulness, it sounds like the emphasis is on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think part of what we struggle with, though, is we come from such a Western culture where we divide the mind and what happens in the mind from the body and how we live. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Jewish culture and in the East, where the New Testament is written, that culture is very much love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's a complete person. And so faith and faithfulness in that context, I think might be a lot more similar than maybe we're able to connect with because even believing is a whole body experience versus here in the West, we might think of believing as I get my mind right. That's really good, Daniel. And I think that if we could push it maybe one step further, the way that I would push it is this, it is impossible to be faithful apart from faith. Mm -hmm. only as we are living by faith will we have the capacity to be faithful because we depend upon him for everything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So it's only as we depend upon him, rest in him, and trust in him that faithfulness even becomes a possibility for us. And so whether it's the just shall live by faith or the just shall live by faithfulness, both bring us to a point of dependence upon God that we have to rest in, in order for us to be able to live. Now, I think some of the little tension that we're feeling rightly within this verse, I think some of that tension is going to be unpacked for us a little bit in the New Testament, which provides kind of a commentary on what Habakkuk was writing and talking about. So keep the tension in mind 
Faith versus faithfulness. How different are they? Are they that different? And what does the New Testament tell us that can help us to understand what the gospel might have to say to both big ideas? Some of our most interesting conversations happen after the mics get turned off. And uh, after our first conversation on Habakkuk chapter 2, we had an interesting conversation about a, um, let's just call it a tension point that we discovered in Habakkuk 2 verse 4. So who would like to talk us through the tension point? Yeah, well, it actually shook me up a little bit as I thought about friends who all of their lives, like me, have grown up with the idea that the scriptures so clearly say the just, those who have a right relationship with God, get it by faith. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to make sure that we were making clear to our friends that, you know, that's going to sound like a big issue if all of a sudden we start to suggest that it's actually faithfulness or it could be faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think, Billy, you're going to try to show that both sides are true, right? Can be true. I sure hope so. <laughs> because you're talking about you know, faith, it's really a gift from God. It's a belief mm -hmm. that He enables us to possess versus a faithfulness, which actually sounds like we're acting out that faith in what we yeah. do. So it's almost like this faith versus works kind of challenge. Yes. That's what you're yeah. saying, right, Mark? Yes, right. Yeah, and I think this is one of those cases where we need to try our best to look at it as a both and, not an either or. We talked about the context being that Habakkuk is addressing the problem of injustice in the world, and he's appealing to God to bring justice to the world. And in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, it says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith or faithfulness. The proud is referring to those who are generating the injustice. Mm -hmm. The righteous are those who are living out of a right relationship with God. So that becomes the point of contrast. And in Habakkuk's context, it really had more to do with how we live out relationship with God, not salvation itself. Rather than a condition for salvation, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we see those two ideas kind of merge together once we start getting into the New Testament places. We saw that Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is a statement that's repeated three times in the New Testament. And the first one, interestingly enough, to your point, Mart, is in the context of salvation. Hmm. So let's look at Romans chapter 1 and see what the Apostle Paul can say. Now, uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Elisa, would you read those for us, please? Sure, sure. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So there we've got salvation and how salvation received in verse 16? By faith. Yeah, and it says specifically to everyone who believes. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 17, he brings up the Habakkuk 2 verse to support his point. The righteous shall live by faith. So one of the things we saw yesterday is that apparently the Hebrew word can go either way between faith and faithfulness, depending on the context. But when they translated the Old Testament into Greek in what's known as the Septuagint, the translation to Greek leaned more into the idea of faith as opposed to faithfulness. And it was the Septuagint that was really the version that the scholars of Paul's day used. And so 
I think as we hear him quoting Habakkuk 2.4, we're hearing him quote the Septuagint, the Greek version, which leans towards faith. Now, does that just make the water more muddy or does that help any? <laughs> I can just hear hearts and minds saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. It sounds as though you're saying that there's a possibility that my relationship with God, my salvation, that the gift of eternal life depends on my faithfulness to him. And I can hear people saying, there's no way in the world. In fact, I think, Bill, in our last conversation, you made it clear, none of us can live faithfully, completely. Mm -hmm. It's a huge issue. It is a huge issue. And again, like we started off with in this conversation, a lot of it is because we come at this idea of the just shall live by faith or the righteous one shall live by faith. We tend to come at it from a salvation perspective, but we also understand that there is a life component to it. It's not just how do I become right with God? It is also, what's my life look like after I become right with right, God? Right, right. And isn't that kind of the language of the verse? Because it says, but the righteous man. So we already have this state of the person being in right relationship with God. The righteous man or woman shall live by faith. So it's almost like, to Mart's point, the belief, the faith, this gift of God of being able to trust him has happened. And as mm -hmm. a result, we are in right relationship with God. And as a result of now that right relationship with God, we can now live faithfully. Let's camp on that for a minute, because one of the things we talk about a lot on this program is what does it mean to be righteous? Mm -hmm. What are some of the ideas that often get attached to righteousness or being a righteous man or woman? doing right things. And in a perfectionistic way. Right. Or a legalistic way. There is a sense to it, as we've talked about in other discussions, righteousness is something that's attributed to us. You know, it's not something that we can achieve, as you've been saying, Mark. You know, it's impossible for us to be righteous, but righteous is like a, a proclamation over us of a right standing where we used to be messed up. Now we're in a right standing because of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, the term that a couple of you used that I think really moves us a little further toward the goal line on this conversation is the phrase right standing, because right standing is different from right conduct. Mm -hmm. mm. And to your point, Daniel, the way the word righteousness often gets used in our circles today, it's used as right conduct, mm -hmm. moral uprightness, moral mm -hmm. behavior. And that kind of feels like it's leaning in the direction of faithfulness as opposed to faith, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think this is like the so whatness in this whole conversation is that so what that we have been given the gift of faith and therefore we're in a right standing? Well, that's fantastic. So I don't have to fear God's judgment anymore. I don't have to feel unloved anymore. I don't have to feel unworthy and experience this kind of ickness in my soul. So yay, that's a so whatness. But the other mm -hmm. so whatness is that therefore I'm going to act differently. I'm going to freely embrace what God's done for me and I'm going to live differently. Mm -hmm. We can actually mm -hmm. be faithful because he's given us the ability. And, and so we can love other people and we can make different choices and, and we can stay committed and we can look like Jesus in our world. It was impossible before, but now it's more possible. Yeah, I think your emphasis on the gift is so crucial. It goes so to the heart of what we're hearing in Christ, that it comes to us as a gift, but having received it, you know, now, now there's a whole lot that is going to work its way out. 
Yeah. This whole idea of righteousness, which is what God gives us through the gospel. I mean, that's the context is I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. And it's not just salvation that gets me out of earth and into heaven. It's salvation that's changing my relationship with God, therefore changing my relationship with others. This Mm -hmm. idea of righteousness is such a big idea that this word or some form of the Greek word for righteousness appears more than 60 times in the book of Romans. Hmm. That's how important this is to Paul, that Mm -hmm. we understand this is what right relationship with God looks like. And this is how it's received. How is it received? Well, he says it's received by faith, and we live out of that. Hmm. And it makes sense now to look back at Habakkuk and think through what he's addressing is he's addressing injustice. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is, is the righteous, those who have this right standing with God, can now be just as God is just because of God's justice that transformed them first, right? And so their righteousness, mm-hmm. their right standing with God actually empowers, equips, opens the door, whatever language we want to use for them to now be just because God has transformed them. Yeah. Now, we've already mentioned that Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is quoted three times in the New Testament. The first is Romans, and the theme of Romans is righteousness. So if Romans camps on the righteousness element of Habakkuk 2 verse 4, I want to suggest to you that in our next conversation, when we go into Galatians, it's going to focus on the live. Mm -hmm. Because Paul is talking about how we live out our faith. Here he's talking about how we become in right standing with God that changes our relationships and our actions and our lives and our hearts. But in our next conversation, he's going to talk to us about, okay, what's that look like as we live day by day? And I think As we see this verse come alive in Galatians, it's going to give us another really important point of emphasis. Yeah, this really is one of the Bible's great ideas and one that holds so much significance when it comes to the overall message and story of the Bible, that the just, the righteous, live by faith. Well, we've seen the phrase in the writings of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk and in the New Testament letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Next, we'll see it in another of Paul's letters to the Galatians when this Discover the Word podcast continues. Now, Discover the Word is part of the larger Our Daily Bread Ministries family, and our mission is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible accessible to people all around the world. And the Lord enables us to touch the lives of millions across the globe each day with devotional material like the Our Daily Bread. We use radio and podcasts and video and the internet to reach people as well. And we also have something we call the Discovery Series. Now, it is a collection, a library of over 150 topical studies for your spiritual growth. We'd encourage you to check out a recent addition to the collection called An Intimate Union that explores how our relationship with Jesus shapes our identity. We have a link on our discovertheword.org website, or you can go to discoveryseries.org to take advantage of these helpful, spiritually engaging tools. And now let's get back to the group as they focus on another instance where the phrase, the just shall live by faith, is found. 
And this one, that emphasizes the living part of this great idea. Okay, I'm going to quote Jesus, and then I want you to tell me what you think of when you hear these words. Okay, Okay, it's from John 10, verse 10. In the NIV, it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Hmm. Now, when you hear that, what do you think he's talking about? My immediate thought is, I want that. (laughs) whatever it is it sounds good (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) i'm trying to get into this too bill i hear it used so often by people who say it shows that god really is for you he wants you to enjoy life he's giving you something wonderful and he wants you to enjoy it fully Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah where i go with it is very um physical i tend to think god just wants me to have a little sip but this verse says, I want you to have life to the full. And I have this mm. image of a cup that's you know, poured in and the water just continues to pour into it until it overflows and overflows and it can't even contain all that is intended for mm-hmm. that cup. And I don't live that way most of the time. I live with just a little tiny, a tiny drop in my soul when God's inviting me to have it to the full. And so that makes me go, whoa, I want that. Yeah, and there's a built-in assumption that we're missing out on something Mm -hmm. yeah that we're maybe experiencing a little life but there's something more there's something more complete that jesus is offering that maybe we didn't see at first or something Mm. yeah so bill when you ask the question are you thinking that it's common to mishear that the point that jesus is making well to use an expression that i used in an earlier conversation i wonder if maybe we're not putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable um, <laughs> because uh, it seems like all of our focus was on the abundantly and to the full part none of us really stopped to think about what does he mean by life mm. when jesus says i have come that they may have life what is oh. the life that he offers what does that look like what does that mean whatever it is we know it's good and we want more of it. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. But what actually does life itself represent in what Jesus is talking about? That's a great pop, Bill, because, I mean, I take it for granted. I have life. I'm alive. But this is a different kind of life, isn't it? And so I read on to the full, you know, the abundance, the overflowing cup. Mm-hmm. But you're stopping us at, I came that they may have life, period. Mm-hmm. It's a different mm-hmm. kind of life. Okay, at least that's what I was thinking too. So I think Bill is saying our inclination is probably just to think what you just said, Elisa, life (laughs) as we know it, life as we recognize it, life Mm -hmm. as we hope for it, life as we enjoy it. But I think what Bill's maybe driving at is like one of the primary questions that millennials like myself struggle with, with what is life? Like, what does that even mean? And so maybe Bill's channeling some of his inner millennial and this as well. <laughs> Bill, do you have an inner millennial? Whoa. You know, if I have one, it's deep, deep down there, and, and he doesn't get out to play very often. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to our last conversation where Paul in Romans chapter 1 quoted this verse from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Can I suggest to you that when Jesus talks about life, he is talking about a different quality of life that only comes from being in relationship with God. Mm. In fact, this is such a profound difference from what we think of normally as I'm alive, I'm breathing, my heart's pumping, I'm good to go. It's such a profound difference that the kind of life we think of as life, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 as being dead. Mm-hmm. He said, you were dead. But now you have been made alive. There's a difference 
that's taken place to bring the kind of life that Jesus is talking about that's different than just living. So the question is, how in the world do we recognize that life, right? Mm. I'm thinking of a man that I know, and we serve on a team together as volunteers, and he's around my age, and he's been through kind of similar struggles in his life. And I was corresponding with him yesterday on something we were working on together, and I just was absolutely struck by his view of life. And I hadn't really thought about it until right now as a fleeting thought. And he just has this gracious, bouncy, lovely, bountiful view of life. His face beams, even when he's in a difficult circumstance, he smiles and he knows. And and I I just think that's what you're talking about, Bill, Mm. that when we're in relationship, there's a different kind of life that's accessible to us. And I was really struck by my friend David the other day. And I thought, do I have access to that? Does that overflow out of me? You know, is that even come into me? I'm really intrigued by this because it's really hit home to me now. Let's go to our second place in the New Testament, because if yesterday we saw Romans focusing on the righteous part of the righteous shall live by faith, Galatians, I think, is going to focus on the live part. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Daniel, uh, what does that say? It says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the one who is righteous will live by faith. Okay. Now Habakkuk was speaking into a context of a world filled with injustice, and he was contrasting the proud, who are the producers of injustice, to the righteous one who lives by faith slash faithfulness. We've uh, wrestled with that uh, already. Then in Romans 1, Paul says, now it's in the gospel that God reveals his righteousness so that the righteous shall live by faith through the gospel. So in those two contexts, we have a very different emphasis in the verse. Galatians 3, the emphasis is about how you live. Hmm. What's the first half of that verse say again, Elisa? Not that anyone is justified by the law before God. Yeah, the NLT says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Ah, Mm -hmm. that's clear, yeah. And then to your point as well, Bill, my translation offers a different way that it could be worded. And it says that the second half could be the one who is righteous through faith will live. Mm -hmm. And that gets to what we've been talking about, that this Mm -hmm. faith is available to all of us. It, It comes to us by God's hand, not by our hand. Mm -hmm. What Paul is doing here, I would suggest to you, is he is making Habakkuk 2 verse 4 the key text for the book of Galatians. So as we think about it in that way, what is the problem in Galatia that he's addressing? It's people that have come to faith in Jesus, but are trying to go back into Judaism and trying to live by the law that God gave to Israel. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, why was that a problem? Well, because when we try to live by our own efforts again, what we experience is not really life. You know, Jesus came to give us a different kind of life. And so all the only kind of life that the law can give us or our own efforts can give us is not really the life that God wants us to live. Yeah. In the Gospels, we read, if the Son shall set you free, you're free indeed. There's a perfect law of liberty that the book of Galatians talks about that offers a different quality of life 
because it's lived out of freedom and not out of bondage to the law. Mm-hmm. And that difference is Paul's entire argument. And he calls Habakkuk to the witness stand, in a sense, to support his argument by saying, yeah, this is the whole point all along. The righteous shall live by faith, not by the law. That's not how you're justified, nor is that how you live out your relationship with God. So Romans tells us that right relationship with God only comes by faith. Galatians now builds on that by saying, and the only way to live out that right relationship is by faith. So it's relying on the Spirit of God rather than focusing on rules and trying to keep those rules. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a life of dependence as opposed to a life of performance. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I see in my friend David. I mean, circumstances can go wonky on him. And, you know, he's not like immune or like above it or unplugged from life. But I see in him this dependency you're talking about. And it comes out in his face. It comes out in his his words. It comes out in his decisions. And mm. I see mm. this gift of faith that God's given him evidenced in his own loving God back and trusting and yielding. And it mm. inspires me to have that as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that this whole idea of how we live out our faith is such a big idea to Paul that he he also talks about it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, where it becomes so comprehensive that he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Mm -hmm. We walk. That's a metaphor for all of life, everything we do in life. How do we do it? It's only by faith. Everything in life is dependent upon the provision of our Father his care, his resources, his love, his mercy, his grace. We live by faith. We walk by faith. Having had right relationship with God through Jesus, now we live that out the same way we got it, by trusting him. This is going to be kind of a weird question, but you're used to that by now, so I'm going to proceed. Um, What are some invisible things that have great power? Wind. Mm. That's a good one, Daniel, because I've been to the desert a lot on those giant windmills, and they're capturing the wind and creating electricity. Yeah, that's powerful. How about the words we speak? Mm. Mm. Can't see them. Yeah. You're right. Words have great power. What about emotions? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see kind of the effects of love, or the effects of anger, but we don't actually see love or see anger, mm-hmm. or do we? Right. No. You see its effects. It's yeah. like the wind. You don't mm-hmm. see the wind, but you see the leaves on the tree moving. Mm-hmm. You don't see the words, but you see the impact they have on a person's face. You don't see the anger, but what you see is what it produces. I mean, all of those things. The thing itself is invisible, but there's inherent power Mm -hmm. within it. And I would suggest that the same thing's true of faith. Mm -hmm. What are some ways in which faith could be, even though it's invisible, could be very powerful? I think we see it in the dying, a person who has faith in Jesus and loves Jesus and trusts that where they are headed is a place that will be with God. I can see a faith um, in their peacefulness. And not always. I mean, it's because we know God doesn't mean we're going to have a peaceful death. Sometimes it's a difficult death, a painful death. Mm -hmm. But I have seen 
and heard from people who were close to death, a faith Mm. that transcends what they're going through. I've seen that too, but I also see it in the other side too, which is in the way people live. Mm. Maybe that they do things or say things or make decisions that other people look at, maybe even with a furrowed brow or a question mark (laughs) on their face, but it's because that faith that they have in who God is and how God works and what he expects of us in the way we treat others, that they live differently as a result. Yeah, with courage and with great confidence, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of the power of faith, I think of that statement from Paul, peace that passes all understanding. Mm-hmm. You can't have a peace that passes all understanding unless you have confidence in something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I think that that is evidence of all the things we've been talking about this week. We've been looking at this little statement stuck in the middle of a minor prophet back in the pages of the Old Testament that are all stuck together because we never go there. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, which says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous, the one who is in right relationship with God, will live by his faith. We saw Paul repeat that in Romans 1. And then again in Galatians 3. Now, for our conversation today, I want us to go to the book of Hebrews, and I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hmm. Now, just for a little context, what do we know about the book of Hebrews? And more importantly, maybe, what do we not know about the book of Hebrews? We don't know for sure who wrote it. Yeah. I had a prof in Bible college who said he believed that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and he had a whole list of reasons why he believed it. But one of the reasons, he said, is because he quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4. He proposed the idea that taken together, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews form a commentary on Habakkuk 2 verse 4, Hmm. with Romans focusing on the righteous, Galatians focusing on shall live, and Hebrews focusing on by faith. It's very intriguing. It is. It is. What does Hebrews 11 verse 1 say? Somebody who's got that. Maybe a couple of different translations. Okay. Okay. This is the NIV. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, which goes back to your original question, Bill. You know, what has mm-hmm. power that you can't see? Yeah, I've got in the NLT, uh, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And mine says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now we've got the by faith component, right? And we know what follows in Hebrews chapter 11 is a whole listing of people and events in the Old Testament where things were done by faith. And that goes back to the Habakkuk thing we see their faithfulness exhibited in some particular area or circumstance, but it's flowing out of a relationship of dependence and trust in God. So the Mm -hmm. faith and the faithfulness come together in Hebrews 11. But for us to get our Habakkuk 2, we've got to actually go back into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. Daniel, could you read that for us? Sure. For you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back, 
But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and so are saved. Mm-hmm. If you remember, in uh, Romans 1, Paul used Habakkuk in relationship to the gospel and righteousness. In Galatians 3, he used it in the context of how we live out our faith. And it's not by keeping the law, but it's by living a life of dependence on God. Here, the people he's writing to are people who are struggling. Yeah. And what kind of struggles were they facing? Yeah, in verse 32 and 33, it talks about suffering, talks about being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, Mm -hmm. being mistreated. What he's calling them to here is a life of faith that's rooted in hope. He's talking about for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now, 2,000 years later, it sure seems like he's delayed. Mm. But Mm -hmm. in their context, as he's writing to them, he wants them to know We have hope, so trust that hope. Be confident in that hope, and that's what brings him to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we would go to Hebrews 10, 36 to 39 to give us the context for Hebrews 11, 1. I would suggest that Hebrews 11, 1 gives us the explanation for Hebrews 10. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like to live by faith. It's trusting in what we cannot see because we're trusting in one who has more power than we can imagine. You know, back to your suggestion that it might be Paul writing this. (laughs) I'm struck by, it could be, might not be, but I'm struck by all that Paul actually needed to persevere in. And how Mm. did he persevere in it? You know, when we read letters like this, it's easy to separate them from the human instrument that God used to write them. But the human instruments that God used, whether it was Paul or someone else, were people who suffered. So they're writing Mm -hmm. out of their own context of discovering what faith really means Mm. in their lives. Bill, does I'm wondering, does it matter in the NLT, verse 39 of chapter 10 says, we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. I think that that goes back to the whole problem of the Hebrews, because as Daniel said, they're going through suffering, they're going through all kinds of difficulties, they're facing all kinds of problems. And it seems that the purpose in the letter of the Hebrews is to encourage them to stand fast, Mm -hmm. to encourage them to stay faithful to the Mm -hmm. faith, because he wants them to see where God is taking them and where he's taking them is better than where they are. Yeah. And which one of us can't appreciate and understand people going through all kinds of hardship and heartache? Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to get discouraged and say, forget it. It's not worth it. It doesn't matter anymore. And whether it's Paul or Luke or Barnabas or Apollos or whoever wrote this, they understood the problem and it's real. Yeah. And because it's really saying... Listen, there's reason for hope. Yeah. And because there's reason for hope, have faith in God. That makes sense. And I'm kind of wondering, too, when it talks about the faithful ones whose souls will be saved, it almost seems to me that that's not talking about the kind of salvation we think of as this ultimate salvation of our spirit, as much as the inner part of us, Mm -hmm. our soul, our emotions, Mm -hmm. our thoughts, our will, our choices will be saved, Mm -hmm. will be rescued in life now by continuing to trust our God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really helpful reminder, Mark, because we do tend to think of a singular view of salvation Mm. that is what gets me out of earth and into heaven. But there's another place where Paul talks about God being the one who has delivered us, 
who continues to deliver us and mm-hmm. who one day will deliver mm-hmm. us because we've trusted in Christ, we'll be forever with him. And we anticipate the day when faith becomes sight, right? Mm. But in the meantime, he's saving us all along the way as we learn how to rest in him and walk by faith. So, Bill, how do we understand even the concept of faith, though? Because when I'm reading through this, it almost feels like ignoring the circumstances that you're in and hoping for something better. Mm-hmm. But what is really the anchor of that better thing? Or what is it that we are hoping in or having faith mm-hmm. in? Well, if you go a little bit further into Hebrews chapter 11, you find that the one who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's the rewarders of those who diligently seek him. It's not just faith for the sake of faith. It's faith in a God who loves us, faith in a God who rescued us, will rescue us, and who continues to rescue us along the way. And so those are the four instances where this phrase, what we've been calling one of the Bible's great ideas, is found. Habakkuk, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews all contain that statement that the just, the righteous, live by faith. Bill will help the group fit those instances together and wrap up this study called Live by Faith after this word about where we'll be going next on the Discover the Word podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, pastor and author Jeff Mannion joins the group to talk about something he likes to call the land between. Well, the land between is about these transitional spaces that we hate, where you're not where you were, you're not where you're going to be, But for a stretch of time, you're uh, unemployed, going through a challenge with a child, uh, an illness that you can't shake. It's the house that won't sell or the property that you can't seem to purchase when the market shifts. And so you find yourself in this space in the middle, the land between, and it's just difficult to navigate. And I think it's one of the most trying stretches we hit spiritually. And so Jeff will take us to a section of scripture that can help us navigate those crucial stretches we spend in the land between. Because he's convinced a lot is at stake. I believe that the land between is fertile ground for transformational growth. I believe the land between is also the space where faith goes to die. The land between with our guest Jeff Mannion on the next Discover the Word podcast. Now the conclusion of Live by Faith. Which do you prefer, jigsaw puzzles or crossword puzzles? <laughs> jigsaw, totally, because I'm just visual. I like jigsaw puzzles. Oh, yeah, hands okay. on. All I hear in both of those is that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of crossword puzzles, but I'm not very good at them. <laughs> I can tell you that when you're on a 16-hour plane flight, Knowing that you can burn a couple of hours on the crossword puzzle in the in-flight magazine is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the walls of my man cave are lined with puzzles that Marlene and I have worked, and she's Aww. glued them up and framed them. Nice. And they make some really interesting wall art. But uh, whether it's the last word in the crossword or the last piece in the jigsaw, mm. there's real satisfaction when mm. it all comes together. You bet. Yeah. Well, we've been putting together a whole lot of ideas this week from four different places in the Bible, all which utilize the same statement, but for different reasons. 
And what I'd like for us to do today is see if we can put the jigsaw together and see what the picture looks like when all the pieces are in place. So let's start with where we began in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And the statement was, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, what was the kind of point of tension that we wrestled with? Well, sometimes that word is translated faith, and sometimes it's translated faithfulness, which Mm -hmm. seem to be very contradictory. It's like, you know, you're living by your own efforts or you're living by God's provision for you. Mm -hmm. Which one? I remember how shook I was the first time I was reading a Bible and saw in the notes faith or faithfulness, and I was thinking, wait a minute. Faithfulness seems to imply something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where we kind of landed with that is that the word speaks of a faith that is faithful. That is that it's solidly and reliably trusting in God and living out of that. And it's active. Uh, and, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a passive faith. It's an active faith, but it's still what enables us to be faithful yeah. is the God in whom we've put our trust. So that was the Habakkuk piece. Yeah, we really do enter into a relationship with God by trust, mm-hmm. by faith. Mm-hmm. That's right. Not by keeping the laws. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Daniel, we then moved into Romans chapter 1 where Paul quotes, the righteous will live by faith. And what was the context he was speaking about? Yeah, so it was Two verses that were together, verse 16, talked about salvation being a gift from God through faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk as, Then the righteous one, so the person who is now in right standing with God, will live by faith. And so it was this journey that we saw of becoming in right standing with God because of the work that God has done because of the gift of salvation. And then as a result of that, we're able to live by the very faith that God gave us to become in right standing with God. As a matter of continuance, yeah. 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 Then when we got into Galatians, we saw that there's a cause and effect relationship there. It's not faithfulness that produces faith. It's faith that enables us to live a life of faithfulness in Galatians mm-hmm. 3, right? Yeah. Uh, what do we talk about there, Elisa? It's really the acting out. It's putting the feet on our faith in terms of acting it out. So it's faith, yes, that helps us in our righteousness, you know, to walk it out Mm. in how we live. Mm. And then in our last conversation, we moved into Hebrews chapter 10. And one of the ways we kind of talked through this is that Romans focuses on righteous. Galatians focuses on shall live. What did Hebrews focus on? By faith. Yeah, what faith is. It's this assurance of what we hope for, which is that rescue, that salvation Mm -hmm. that God offers. It's the conviction of the fact that maybe we can't see that right now because of the circumstances in our lives. And for that context was a circumstance of suffering and persecution. But we have this hope because of a God who's faithful. Mm -hmm. And we can trust him that he's both rescued us and is rescuing us. Now, those are the pieces of the puzzle that we're left with. And we need to put them together into a picture that makes sense. And what I would ask, first of all, just to start out is, does it surprise you to find that same idea appearing in both the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's a little bit counterintuitive. Habakkuk is a a short, kind of not often looked at book, a prophet, you know, an unknown human in a lot of ways. We don't know a lot about him. I think it's surprising that something that he said 
would be quoted three times by writers in the New Testament, that's surprising to us. Mm -hmm. We expect, you know, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from the Psalms quoted. But this one is, to me, surprising that such a Mm -hmm. significant phrase, sentence, Mm -hmm. is taken from what we might view as an insignificant prophet or man of God. I agree with you, Elisa. So the question is why? And I think that's the point. What might we take away from this as maybe the big idea why this phrase appears in an obscure Old Testament prophet and maybe the most theologically dense book in the New Testament, Romans, in a book that's all about practical living and in a book that's writing to people who are hurting, this same verse keeps popping up. And I would say that there's a reason why it keeps Mm. popping up, but I'm wanting to know if you see any reasons why it might keep popping up. Well, I immediately think of... Stephen, who was martyred, and the way that when he was questioned about what he believed in front of uh, the religious leaders, that he didn't start with Jesus. He went back into the Old Mm. Testament and started tracking how all of the story was pointing forward to Jesus. And then at his point, he's pointing backwards to Jesus. Mm. And two of the quotations that we've read this week are from Paul, who his very story of conversion is coming out of Judaism where he did not see Jesus as the promised Messiah and as a result persecuted the church. Mm -hmm. But then after this amazing experience on the road in Damascus, all of a sudden it's like the scales fall off and the whole Old Testament makes different sense to Paul. And so we see him like pulling back into his very roots as a very knowledgeable Jew Looking back at these Old Testament passages, maybe even for him with these fresh eyes of seeing a story that he had missed before, and now he's starting to see, which is pointing to Jesus. You know, Daniel, the way that hits me is that faith itself is not just an idea. Faith is a story. It has a beginning. It has a middle, Mm -hmm. a continuance, Mm -hmm. and an end. Mm And I think you guys are really onto something that maybe is more important than we understand. How many times... Do we hear people in our generation talk about the fact that I don't like the Old Testament because I don't like that angry God in the Old Testament. I like the loving, compassionate Jesus of the New Testament. And I think what I'm hearing you say, Daniel and Mart and Elisa, is that they're not different. We have a Bible that's telling us one story, and Mm. it's the same story in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament which is why a verse like Habakkuk 2.4 keeps coming up and coming up and coming up. Habakkuk's telling the same story Paul is. <laughs> and it's a story of faith in a God who comes to our rescue. And it's a story that we find all the way back in Genesis 12. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. God came to Noah. Noah believed what God said and responded to it. Throughout the Old Testament, faith is the issue. And it shouldn't surprise us that when we come into the New Testament, faith is still the issue Mm. because the Bible's telling one story. And so part of, I think, this invitation that you're drawing us to, Bill, right, is like, here's the heart of God within Habakkuk. The heart of God pulls us into right standing with him. He gives us this faith, this trust. And as a result of that trust, we have this right standing with him and it transforms the way that we live. Mm. Have we talked at all in our conversations, Bill, about Luther? 
I'm trying to remember. <laughs> no. No, we didn't talk about it, but it was this statement from Habakkuk in Romans 1 that changed his life. Yeah. He was a monk who was trying to live religiously. He was trying to live by all the rules and regulations. He was trying to live a performance-oriented life. Yeah. And he was miserable. And he stumbled onto Romans 1, verse 17, that the person in right relationship with God will live by faith. And it changed his life. And through Luther, the Reformation started, and a whole different way of seeing God and the Scriptures came about as a result. Martin Luther is exhibit A of what Habakkuk was calling for. And as he learned to live out a different kind of faith that produced a different kind of life because of a different relationship with God, I think we can do the same thing as we rest in Him and His provision. And with that, we conclude this series, Live by Faith, on the Discover the Word podcast. Bill Crowder leading Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day through some discussions that show us why the just shall live by faith is truly one of the Bible's great ideas. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And thanks for remembering that it is listeners like you who help make Discover the Word possible. Your financial support allows Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries to make the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to literally millions of people around the world. So if you'd like to make a one-time donation to support the ministry or give a monthly gift as a Discover the Word partner, simply follow the easy steps online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab to explore your options at discovertheword.org. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.